Thank you for taking the time to join us. In today's podcast, we're learning parenting principles from expert Bobby Torres, who has been helping parents learn to guide their children from the heart for the past 15 years. We hope you enjoy this episode and it gives you inspiration for your family growth. Here's Bobby. So we talked a little bit about giving out consequences and we want to give you a routine on how to end discipline times with impact through a positive conclusion. In a sense, what we're doing is we're, gonna, we're debriefing with our child after the consequences in order to renew the closeness of that relationship. We don't want to leave that person hanging after they've been given consequences. We don't want them to misinterpret the consequence or the discipline as rejection or we don't love them. You know what I'm saying? So this is very, very key. Uh, Without this routine, uh, tension oftentimes is left unresolved after correction. Uh, Sometimes a child goes away angry, feeling like a failure, feeling, perceiving falsely that they're unloved. Sometimes we feel that way when we're told by an authority or a parent or whoever it is, we're corrected and we feel this sense of, oh, they're disappointed, that you know, we're not loved, that kind of thing. And it may not even be true, but it's just the feeling that we get. So we want to be very concise and clear about how we, we end times of discipline through this positive conclusion. Uh, sometimes parents walk away angry because after the consequence or even scared that they lost the relationship and they feel paralyzed and feel that they, they can't do anything about it. So they know they walk away. It's a very tense situation. They're angry. They're scared. They, they know that the child is shut down and they walk away and they don't know what to do. And years go by like this. So we want to stop that uh, cycle from happening, okay? In the positive conclusion, we use three questions and one statement. And they work beautifully. First of all, you want to sit down and you want to talk about, you want to get some communication going. You want to ask, what did you do wrong? You know, do, do you understand what it is you did wrong? What did you do wrong? And you don't want to tell them what they did wrong you, and, then, and then have them agree with you. You want to allow them space and time to express themselves. Sometimes we don't like silence. We feel we have to start talking. Just be silent because when you go silent, it forces them to deal, feel like they have to start talking, Right? What it does is, by allowing them to answer the question, what did you do wrong, it teaches them confession. It teaches them, uh, you know, owning up, taking ownership for their wrong, searching their heart, and causing them to dig deep. Sometimes we we don't do that in life. Uh, But anyways, it, it causes a person to own up, to search their heart, and to be able to take responsibility for what they've done wrong. And, and sometimes we don't ever take time just to think and to ponder a, a situation. We just we deal with it. We move on. We move on to something else. This gives them that opportunity, okay? Um, it also teaches them to learn how to articulate what they've done wrong. Because if they don't learn that, that uh, important principle, later on as they get older, you can't get any kind of communication out of them. They can't articulate. They can't express and explain, and it's a very, very important thing to do. The second question is, why was that wrong? Now that you know, now that we're clear, and, of course, it gave you opportunity to dialogue about what I did wrong, 
now that we've established that we're on the same page, that you broke the law, and this is the law, this is the taskmaster, now let's go to the, to the emotional side of it, and that is, why did you do the wrong? You know, what, what, is, what are your values on this issue? I want to hear your heart. I want to know what you believe about this. Because if you don't take the time to do this, you're not going to know why they believe what they believe. And you don't have to get the right answer. You just want to know what's in their heart. Because then as you're talking and communicating, it gives you an opportunity to be able to instill the right values that you want in their lives. Because there's rapport going on. And, you know, it may not happen right away the first time, but it becomes a routine that they get used to. And when you start to talk about their values, um, it's, it's, it's the thing that are behind the rules. Okay, here's the law you broke, but, but these are the values. This is the why of the law. And so because if not, we're going to create a legalism. A legalism is, is a law, and we don't know why we follow. We just do it because we've been doing it forever. But, but, when, but when we get into the spirit of, mat, of the matter, we follow this law or this rule or this principle because we understand why we're doing it. And what happens is then we, the, the laws or the principles are written in our hearts. They're no longer just a, 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 a stop sign that we can't stand or a, or a, a speed limit that we, we try to, you know, Try to, try to play around with, but it's something that's written inside of our value system, and now the bars or the, or the protections against doing the wrong thing is now within us. And then that's when you start developing someone who can, you can be trustworthy because they are their own, you know, their own, uh, 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 they hold themselves accountable. As I mentioned earlier, as I'm talking about this, that it gives you the opportunity to reaffirm your values and to discuss and to instill those things. So, so my son, when he was younger, you know, I wouldn't allow him to play video games because he was very addicted to it. So he would, I'd ask, you know, we, I'd catch him, and then I'd ask him, even though it was obvious, what did you do wrong? I played video games, okay? Right? Why was that wrong? Because I dishonored you, my father, because you've made a rule in the house and said that that is not right. That's correct, you know? So we talk about that. And uh, so... There, there just was some, some discussion, and over the years, it really took me, man, let me see. I didn't allow videos, games in the house, but he'd always somehow sneak them in, and then at 16, I decided to allow him to play video games. I figured, look, you're going to start having to be responsible, and you're going to have to learn because, you know, it was a constant battle, him sneaking in video games and that kind of thing. Well, by the, so we started this routine. By the time he turned 18 years old, he's now just turned 19 today, he... He finally decided on his own after we've had a conversation of him every once in a while overdoing it, not being responsible, not getting his work done, not doing his studies. And him and I finally agreed. He finally came to the realization and said, yeah, Dad, you know what? I think I am addicted to this stuff. I said, well, what do you think you ought to do? Well, Dad, I think I need to get rid of it. And he turned over his Xbox over to me at 18 years old. So you see how long it took in the process? See, this thing, parenting is hard work. And uh, so, anyways, I'm so thankful now because now the rule, now the thing is him and I agreed upon is that when he's financially stable, which means he'll be on his own, then he can play all the video games he wants. <laughs> so that's the agreement, you know what I'm saying? So that's cool. Okay. The, uh, the third one, the third question is, what are you going to do differently next time? Okay. This opens the door for a discussion 
about solutions. You start instilling the value in their lives that they become problem solvers and they become thinkers and they become more valuable in the workplace, in the marketplace, when they can become problem solvers. Sometimes people don't know how to take initiative or don't know how to resolve a problem and, and, and it just, you know, it's just sort of irritating at times when some very simple things can be handled if somebody just took the time to think about it. Well, this is what is created in their lives when you sit there and ask them this question. What are you going to do differently next time? So one of Bobby's response, responses when he got caught overdoing it with the video games now that I had allowed him since 16 years old, well, at first it was a real simple answer, like, I won't do it again next time. Yeah, okay. Well, all right, good. Take that as an answer. Even though you know that, that it, may not, it may happen, you still have to keep working with that. You know, there was a story in the Bible about a woman who got caught in adultery, and all these men came to accuse her and stone her. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he starts writing something on the dirt. Now, we don't know what it was he wrote with his finger, but I suspect he was writing down the websites they'd been looking at, you know, but who knows, right? <laughs> so they throw down the stone and psh, they, you know, hightail it. And then he tells, he tells her, he goes, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Just go and don't do it again. Now, whether she did it again, I don't know. But I don't think, I don't think that, that, uh, that Jesus expected her to be completely never, ever fall again. I think that his love and his mercy was going to help her through her life. Well, the same thing you as a parent. You know, so your son or daughter says, well, you ask him, what are you going to do differently next time? Well, I won't do it again next time. Okay, good. You know, that may be the, the simple answer. Well, as this thing evolved, he kept doing it next time. We started coming up with some solutions because he started becoming a problem solver. Well, you know, next time I'm just going to go and play basketball with my friends. That's a good solution. When you're getting tempted to want to, you know, play video games, now his idea was, I'm just going to get out of the house, I'm going to go shoot hoops. See? So he started coming up with solutions. Now I can tell you, at 19 years old, I see him being a pr at 19, mind you. All of these things I'm teaching you, I'm seeing them uh, really take, have taken root and now really showing fruit in his life. And I'm really, really happy. I'm telling you, for me to have the opportunity to be doing parenting, let me just real quick uh, get off, off, off for a minute and just give a side note. I, I do a lot of things. I pastor a church. I'm, I'm, I run the Father's Heart Foundation. I oversee numerous organizations that I've either founded, helped establish, or provide leadership accountability. And um, so I'm, I'm really doing a lot of things. But, you know, the thing that I think is the most important thing that I could do with my time, now that, you know, I could do pretty much whatever I want with my time, the most important thing that I have decided to do with my time and I feel is my calling is to dedicate the rest of my years, because 40 years went by like this, so I'm assuming it's going to be gone before I blink an eye, you know, is to teach parents how to effectively parent. Because I think we can make the world so much of a better place if we can really train and disciple our children to be productive and healthy adults. I think that is so important, especially with what's happening today in the world. Uh, I'm currently talking, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, I, I probably didn't, to the group in the morning, but um, I'm talking with the government, the parliament at Cayman Islands. They had me go and look at their prison system and give them a report. And we talked to the mental health officials, prison officials, top religious leaders, um, assistant to the governor, all these different people. And we're talking about instituting systems and programs and parenting classes and all this stuff in their whole entire country. And it's just amazing. And I just feel... 
Like it is, it is so important, and I encourage you, uh, as you look at the material, to get little groups of parent support groups and help one another. And let's, let's not let our communities go down the drain. I can remember in Fairfield about maybe 15 years ago, we came down here, and we did a lot of work with gang members where Ramon came out of. We were working with about 300 gang members, and it was, they were writing about it in the newspaper. Some of you may remember. Might have remembered me in the newspaper or not, but Ramon was a kid with a, his hat flipped back, and, and uh, he was just a little gang member guy, and it was a lot of work going on. But you know what? What I've learned over the years is that we lost a lot of them because we didn't work with the parents. That's about 10, was it 15 years ago? I was a lot younger, and, and I've learned a lot of things, so I really enjoy what I'm doing. <sighs> Boy, I really got off, didn't I? Okay, so what are you going to do differently next time? It allows discussion for a solution. And uh, because hopeless and discouraged people don't care about solutions. But if you give them the gift of learning to come up with solutions, all of a sudden you create hope in a person's life. And they don't get discouraged. And so this three-step process or these three questions really make a difference for heart change. The last part is a statement. Once you've discussed it, you know, and you, you should read the book One Minute Manager. It talks about how you can uh, bring correction to somebody in a very short period of time, very similar to this routine. And then afterwards make it clear, listen, uh, you as a person uh, are priceless and, and that's not even an issue, but your behavior is atrocious. And so you're kind of getting that, that message across that you are valuable, but your behavior is atrocious. That's what we're talking about. And we're trying to correct it. And now that we've talked it over and it's a real simple routine, the statement is, okay, go ahead. Try again. Let's do it again. And by the way, you may stumble again. You may make this mistake. And guess what? We're going to have many, many meetings like this throughout your life. So is that okay? Great. They walk away encouraged. They walk away feeling loved. And they know that, uh, you know, you don't want to give people a false expectation that you'll never mess up again. Don't you ever do that again. It's going to happen again. But see, through repetitive, constant training, over time, you start instilling some good things in their lives, and you will reap, and you will see the harvest over time. So that sounds really cool, doesn't it? I have a little poem I want to give you as, to conclude this session. And I know you're all going to want it, so you got to go on to callbobby.com and ask for it, okay? This is called the, the, uh, the Bill of Rights, Okay. My son came home from school one day. A smirk was on his face. He decided he was smart enough to put me in my place. He said, guess what I learned in civics too? That's taught by Mrs. Wright. It's all about the laws today. The Children's Bill of Rights. It says, I don't have to clean my room. I don't have to cut my hair. No one can tell me what to think, how to speak, or what to wear. I have freedom from religion, and regardless what you say, I, have to, I don't have to bow my head, and I sure don't have to pray. I can wear earrings if I want and pierce my tongue and nose. I can read and watch just what I like, be tattooed from head to toes. And if you ever spank me, I'll charge you with the crime, and I'll back up all my charges with the marks on my behind. He said, don't you ever touch me. This body's for my use, not for your hugs and kisses. That's just more child abuse. He continued with, don't preach about your morals like your mama did to you. That's nothing but your mind control, and it's illegal too. Mom, I have these children's rights, so don't give me any stress. And I'll call Children's Protection Services 
better known as CPS. The mom says, my turn. Well, of course my natural instinct was to toss him out the door. But the chance to teach a lesson made me think a little more. I mulled it over carefully. I couldn't let this go. A little smile crept up my face. He was messing with a pro. And away we go. Next day, I took him shopping at the local Goodwill store. I told him, pick out all you want. There are shirts and pants galore. I've called and checked with CPS. They said they didn't care if I bought you Kmart shoes instead of Nike Airs. Oh, and I've canceled that appointment to take your driver's test. CPS is unconcerned, so I'll decide what's best. I said no time to stop and eat or pick up stuff to munch, and tomorrow you can start to learn to make your own sack lunch. Just save that raging appetite and wait till dinner time. We're having liver and onions. It's a favorite dish of mine. He asked, can we stop to rent a movie so I can watch the VCR? Sorry, I said. I sold your TV for new tires on my car. I also rented out your room. You can take the couch instead. CPS requires just a roof above your head. Your clothing won't be trendy now. I'll choose the food we eat. That allowance that you used to get will buy me something neat. I'm selling off your jet ski, dirt bike, and rollerblades. Check out the parents' bill of rights. It's in effect today. Hey, hey, hotshot, are you crying? Why are you on your knees? Are you asking God to help you? Go ahead, call CPS on me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Been a great time with you. Uh, oh, no, I still got to do questions and answers. Erica, help me out. What's next? Okay, so yeah, just look, look these over while I deal with this one. What do you do when the children are, are arguing back and forth? Do you intervene automatically or do you let them resolve it? Well, of course you want them to learn how to resolve it, but you, you have to mediate and intervene and stop if, if it's becoming abusive. You don't want your children to learn the style of communicating that is abusive and hurtful. The same thing when they're doing that with you. You have to stop that conversation. You have to take, do the break routine, okay? You need to take a break. We're not going to discuss this issue because if you start answering foolish things, you start saying foolish things. And if everybody's hurting one another, I don't care how smart you are, you're going to say things you regret. Better just pull back, take a break. You go take a break, and when you've had a heart change, or maybe I need to take a break. I need to go get a heart change. I'll see you later, and then we'll talk again, you know. Uh, but when the children are, are, are arguing and if they're being abusive, then you need to stop. You guys, when you're ready to talk about this with a heart change, always use that concept and discuss solutions and even let me mediate then we'll talk again. But that, that is not a style of communication that is allowed. You do not allow your children to communicate to you in a negative way, whining and yelling and abusing and all that. You don't, you don't allow that kind of communication. That's a stop, okay? And don't feel that if your authority is being, you know, you, you can only do so much within your authority, don't let pride take over. You know, just let go at that point and seek help if you have to, but don't, don't feel that you have to, you know, I'm going to establish my authority and then go beyond what you are able to and by getting angry, by being abusive, or by doing things that are just not really going to accomplish anything. This is a question that has to do with giving instructions, going back to when you were talking about standing, giving instructions and then standing by. Do we give instruction when we stand by? Do we give instruction when we stand by? Yeah, so if we're standing by, if I understand the question correctly, yeah, you, you, you may be having to uh, 
you know, some keep coaching. prodding and some coaching and reminding along the way, like, okay, you, uh, uh, knock, 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 are you done with the shower yet? You know, time's running out. Maybe they're playing with the bubble bath. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're just playing submarine or who knows what in time. They got to get to school, whatever the case is, or get to bed, right? So you have to, okay, I'm waiting for you, I'm waiting, or, you know, or you, you, or you go inside, whatever it is. Yes, you definitely want to keep um, coaching them along if they're not sticking to the task. This question is regarding um, the time where you give your child a break. Um, and it says, what if they can't express what's in their heart in the break and you get, I don't know? What if they can't express what's in, the, in, the, in their heart in the break and you get, I don't know? You really should try it because, see, the thing about it is this. When you tell them to go take a break, until you uh, had a heart change, you can't come back to family life. See, I didn't get into the whole teaching on the break, but what's happening is they're missing out on family life. They're missing out on all the benefits of family life. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm back now. I'm ready, to, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, come back into family life. Well, okay, so um, so you ready to, have you had a heart change? Ready to talk about this? No. And they go back, you know, right? <laughs> so... What's happening is you're teaching them something that's innate within a person. You're causing them to have to search something inside of them. And that may be a journey. It may be an adventure. But guess what? Everyone has to do it. So if you get the, I don't know, okay, well, then go figure it out. Let me tell you what. They'll figure it out. They'll, they'll, they'll come up with something. And don't expect a huge elaborate thing. Just get them to start communicating. I remember when I would teach my children to pray in the morning because it was a time where we would reflect and meditate and we'd go down this little outline on prayer. And when time came for Thanksgiving, uh, we would, you know, go in, in a circle and, and say, um, okay, it's your turn to pray. Okay, oh, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. Well, we'd get a troubled teen that would live with us, and they'd say, I'm not thankful for anything. Say, okay, well, um, if, we were, if, you were, if we were not to allow you to take a shower and drink water and not drink juice because it contains water, if we just restricted you from water, would you see the value in water? Yeah. Well, I mean, are you thankful that there's water? Thank you for water. Great, wonderful. And then we just went around the circle. Now, that sounds funny, but after a few days, that person started opening up their heart. So, you know, just you get them to start, start learning how to do this, and it works. Okay? This parent wants to know how to motivate a lazy-slash-perfectionist child. <laughs> Motivation techniques. Slash perfectionist. Let me deal with the lazy because I'm trying to deal with the combination here. Because um, I tend to think perfectionists tend to not be lazy, but I could be wrong. How do you deal with a lazy child? This works wonders. That Power for Truth, Power for Truth Success book, instead of calling them lazy, because there's power in your words, you know that, right? You can speak life or death on somebody. You know, if you keep calling somebody lazy, they're going to become more and more lazy. So instead of, 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 of labeling them as lazy, you want to, and, and, and putting that as their, as their person, instead what you want to do is you want to open up that character book at a time when, you know, you're having some communication. You say, look, let's talk, let's, let's read over this diligence versus slothfulness. Let's read about it. And there's information there and knowledge that they can start applying into their minds that, as you put them to practice it uh, and, and to actually not only learn the knowledge but to, to actually do something that will instill a diligence in their lives, the training part is what gets it in their hearts. I do a four-part essentials, teaching training, um, uh, teaching training, co consequences and dis uh, correction and, and consequences, 
And what happens is that um, as you teach them the knowledge and then get them to work it out to actually do the thing that you've taught them, it starts to sink into their heart. So instead of being negative, we're equipping them with information. See, some people, for example, some people are just naturally loyal. Others aren't. So you have to teach loyalty. You have to teach that character quality in, in a person that is not naturally loyal. My middle daughter from the womb was a liar. She would lie about everything. No, you know that's true. From the womb, they come out a certain way, right? They are born with these sins from the moment they just start. The first word they learn is no, right? Because that's all you tell them is no, no, no. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, after mama, right? Mama, no. And after a while, you're like, no, call your daddy. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you, uh, but people that are disloyal, I have been able to teach them using the character book. That's why the whole character development is really, really important. About the perfectionist child, um, well, there was not really a question there. How do you motivate lazy perfectionists? I think a perfectionist, perfectionist child, depending on your question, they're pretty motivated to be perfect. So they got another problem. We just got to pull them back a little bit. Yes. All right. This one is pretty basic here. What is heart work? What is heart work? Hard work is hard work, okay? Um, if you want to develop the fruit of love in your life or patience or long-suffering or temperance because you're short and you're quick to get angry and you're quick to, you know, get frustrated and all these kinds of things or, or, you, or you, people hurt you and right away you just want to get revenge and, you know, and just lash back and... You want to make them feel your pain and make them feel what you felt and all that kind of stuff. Well, here's the bad, the, the bad news is, the good news is to you is that you can hate your enemies. The bad news is that when you hate them, you start hating the people you love. In other words, you can't have a heart that hates and then expect out of that same heart that comes out bitter waters to get, have living waters coming to the people you love. So here you're hurt with someone you don't care about and all of a sudden it filters in the people you care about. Because hurt people hurt, hurt people. people, right? So heart work is, has to do with doing things that, that change your heart and that increase the fruit of your spirit. So, for example, if I'm dealing with someone that is very difficult, very hateful, and very hurtful, I look at it as an opportunity to grow watermelon-sized fruits of love. And... It becomes a labor of love. If you think that love is not a laboring and not working, then you got a completely wrong idea of love. Especially if you're married. Once you got past the whole, you know, yee and the whole little, you know, fireworks and all that, you find out that now I've got to love this person who is invading my closet space. I mean, I got, you know, since I've been married, I had all my closet space taken away. Where in the book does it say that she gets three quarters of the closet? Where? Why? You know? I mean, we now have our own separate closets, thank God. She still has the bigger one. Why? <laughs> you know, she has more shoes, she has more dresses. I don't care. See, we have all kinds of different values, you know what I'm saying? She likes um, things done this way, and, and I, you know, I like them done that way. When I have my things organized, they're all over the place, and I know where they're at. She likes to organize them and put them all in, in, in her mind, orderly and organized, and then I can't find anything. I lose everything when she organizes my stuff. So guess what? We have to work hard at that relationship, and a lot of it is giving in, and so that's what hard work is. It's really growing. If you're stuck, in, in, uh, uh, if you're stuck on a freeway or in traffic and you have to get somewhere, 
how much faster are you going to get to that place by getting mad and upset and frustrated and yelling at people on the cell phone and banging on the dashboard? It's not going to change anything. But guess what? Since you can't change how much faster you're going to get to your appointment, you have an opportunity to change your heart and to just relax and, and to take control and say, okay, all right, well, hey, maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe there's an accident I was about to get into. Maybe I'm not supposed to be at that meeting. Not that I'm not going to take responsibility for being late, but maybe, maybe the building was going to get blown up or who knows what. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, that's funny, but one time I was on my way to Wells Fargo Bank and I had something that interrupted me, something that changed my routine. And I remember calling the banker and saying, hey, listen, I can't make it. I had to do some special banking. And this is no joke. As I was talking to the girl that I normally work with, she was being robbed <laughs> right there and then. So I don't know. Maybe nothing would have happened to me, but, you know, you never know what, why things happen. We have two questions here that I'm going to group together about toddlers. How do you get a two-year-old out of the store without throwing a tantrum once they've seen something they want? How many of you have been in that boat before? And the second one goes right along with that. My three-year-old daughter has a lot of attitude and gets impatient when she can't do something. I try to help her through it, but she shuts off and becomes upset. What can I do? So one is throwing a tantrum because they want something. The other is becoming frustrated because they can't do something. You know, I, I would really love to hear what you would have to say. I, I mean, I have an answer, but I would love to hear what you have to say about that because you have how many two toddlers? Yes, and four that and, have gone past that point. And you're like fresh on this thing. I know exactly, I know what I would say, but I, I'm so curious in hearing what you, are they doing this? On the spot. Are they doing this now? You know what? Um, actually, believe it or not, the first four, um, I didn't have any tantrum experiences. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth one came along and... And um, he happens to think that he's a little king. And we were in the store one day, and he but started... But that's because you named him Josiah. Josiah, yes. Josiah was and a king in the Bible. Josiah was a king at seven years old? Eight. Eight, so in that's your fault. Okay. I'll take responsibility for that. So, so he starts throwing a, ta a tantrum. I mean, the whole on the floor and kicking and crying and making a scene. And I walked away for a minute, so I don't think that's the right answer. Good thing my husband was there. <laughs> Good okay. thing my husband was there. Really, that, that's the, that's, that, that was my experience with, with a tantrum. Um, but, uh, but that's also why I'm attending these seminars, okay. not just here for everyone else. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, the only remedy I have found in a tantrum, and it's worked well for my kids. My kids now, they are really good parents. I mean, they've, they help take care of your kids, yes, and, and, yes. and I know you trust them, all three of them, right? Yes, and they're, they're, and they're, they're full of patience. They really are. Yeah, and when it comes to a tan tantrum, you know, there's, there's an element of rebellion, and especially we're talking toddlers who really don't understand English yet. Um, that one tool, the spanking tool, if you do it right without being angry, and you do it right, and you go beyond just hurting their feelings, but right to the point where you're hurting their behind, and the way you can know, it's kind of a thing you sense. It's like it goes from... Ah, to <gasps> well, let, let's okay. take that and bring it right into our next two questions okay. because it has to do with disciplining and using that tool. The first one is, how do you overcome anger when disciplining your child after your child or the situation has made you upset? Because I know when you're in a store, not only can you be upset, but it can be embarrassing, and you're just cringing, right. trying to get out the door no. as fast as you can. The second one is, you mentioned before there are certain behaviors. Hold on, behaviors. before you say the second one, can I answer yes. the first one? Yes, yes. 
that is a good question. How do you overcome anger? Because first of all, you got to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody says, you know, who, who would ever want to admit I hate my child, right? But our actions sometimes show that we do, whether we think that or not. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Nobody, you know, the heart lies to you. It's the only member of your body that fools you. How do I know? How many times have you been in love and you were wrong? Okay, there, case in point. And now you're stuck with them. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, when you get to heaven, the Bible says there's no marriage in heaven, so you can dump them and get with the one who you're supposed to be married to for the rest of eternity, okay? There's no marriage in heaven. That's what the Bible says, right? I'm just having fun. Okay. Anyways, what is, what is the question again? There are several people in the audience that are not only oh, red, but avoiding anger? looking at the person next to them. But yes, it's how do you overcome anger when disciplining your child after the situation has made you, made you upset? First of all, uh, realize that when you are speaking out of anger or, you know, just responding out of anger, though you may not think so, you are hating on the person. Now, you may not like that philosophy, but you ought to try adopting it, and it'll, it'll keep you in check. Because you don't feel what that other person is feeling until you remember what it felt like when someone else was angry and they were trying to talk to you. Someone's angry, they're trying to talk to you. They're, they're like, what do you, what do you mean I'm, I, I hate you? You know, they don't feel like they hate you, but you're feeling all this hate, all this frustration, all this stuff, right? So you don't want to be talking or, or dealing with someone out of anger. So you have to first admit that it is hate. It is just a form of hate, okay? Secondly is you want to definitely have an accountability partner. That's why we do coaching and all that. Uh, someone who you can talk to, debrief. Debriefing is huge. Myself and Erica Roman, are you a chaplain? Yeah. We're, we're licensed chaplains. We, we were trained in search and rescue, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, death notification, critical incident, all this stuff. We go to high school shootings and hostage negotiations and all this kind of stuff, right? We do search and rescues all the time. Matter of fact, Ramon could be whisked away any day, any minute now because he's, he's on call for a search and rescue right now as we speak. Uh, so anyways, we do that, and um, we've learned about debriefing, and it's something that you're taught, especially with emergency workers, because they're always dealing with tragedy. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with people. I mean, I remember one time I was doing a hostage negotiation, and, I mean, the, the cops just bombed the place, busted the windows, tore the, the, the doors down, uh, took the perpetrator who was holding people hostage, and he, I guess he was trying to rape somebody's child, and, and off they left. And there I was by myself with the couple sitting there with a destroyed house and water damage everywhere, just sitting there mesmerized. And the baby, I guess, was taken by CPS and gone. Everybody was gone. And I was the only one there to debrief with them and to help them and all that, you know. So when you're angry, get, 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 get it off your chest. Find someone who you can trust, who won't judge you, who won't tell the whole world what you're, you know, who you, who you keep it in confidence and won't judge you for what you're feeling and saying. And husbands, I just got to throw this in for free. This one you get for free, okay? Sometimes women... They, they, they express what they feel. You don't. See, they're like going, oh, my God, it's in the world. The bills, everything, life's caving in. You're feeling the same way, but you're just like watching TV, right? She's like freaking out. And then instead of just saying, honey, it's going to be okay, and just letting her debrief, and then everything's cool. Five minutes later, it's like, so we were freaking about what? What are you talking about? I don't freaking about anything. Everything's cool. That's how women can be. 
But instead, you decide to want to correct her. Don't be doing that. Don't be scared. What's wrong with you? And you start responding when she's trying to debrief. And then you end up hurting her, and then it creates a worse problem. Just let her debrief. And men, learn how to debrief. Learn how to express your emotions. Learn how to express what you're feeling. You know, if your wife says, so how was your day at work? And I was, all right. Come on. Work a little harder, man. You know what I'm saying? Make a couple things up. I'm kidding. (laughs) You know, well, you know, I mean, I mean, if you have to say, well, you know, I went to the copy machine and it was, you know, it, it wasn't working and you're going, this is really dumb. And, but, you know, I, the paper was stuck in, in the, it was jammed in the feeder. And, but I, I eventually got it done and that was my day. And she's like, well, thank you, honey, for sharing that with me. And you're like, wow, is that all it took? You know, anyways, debrief, get it off your chest. And then the last thing about anger that I want to say, I said debrief. What was the other thing I said about anger? Uh, know that it's, it's a hurtful, hateful thing. And the third thing I want to say about anger is when something causes you to be angry, frustrated, disappointed, or betrayed, some, something, somebody, if you respond back to it, because that's why you're angry, because somebody made me angry, then you are not taking responsibility for your actions because you're now doing what you didn't like someone, uh, what someone did to you. If you say to yourself, I'm going to be responsible for my actions, be angry and sin not. Don't do the wrong. I am going to maintain my integrity. Regardless of what you do, what you throw at me, I am going to show character in this situation. The day, and I deal with domestic um, violence with husbands that, that abuse their wives, and I tell them, um, the day that you realize that you have no reason to hit her, you might have gotten upset, but you have no reason to respond negatively or to say something abusive. That's the day you're going to stop. Right now, you have a reason. Your reason is she did it to me, so I got to do it back to her. You, you're taking vengeance into your own hands. The day you realize that you are, whatever you do and say, you are 100% responsible and you will never be able to blame anybody else, just try it in, in, in the court of law or try it on judgment day and try to give somebody the excuse why you hurt someone, why you were hateful, why you cussed them out, why you hit them, and they'll say, too bad, you still committed the crime. Maybe you ought to watch those uh, law movies that they, uh, law Mm -hmm. sitcoms that they have. To finish up this last question you mentioned before, there are certain behaviors that require or deserve spanking. What are they? Obviously, don't spank in anger. So, what you mentioned before, what types of behaviors would maybe warrant a spanking? Would you say? I would definitely say rebellion, but you have to make sure you identify rebellion. Is it's not? It could be immaturity. It could be lack of training. You know, I don't like to. I don't like to discipline people or children or whoever, my children or or employees or whoever, unless I really know that I have trained them. And I and just because I told them once doesn't mean that it's a done job. I just I want to make sure and get all the feedback and the communication. And once I I got a good feeling that they have really understood that issue, then I can say, okay, maybe it's rebellion. But don't just assume it's rebellion right away. Could be immaturity. Could be you know, not only that, but they may need, um, you know, mercy and long-suffering. But if it is rebellion, do not tolerate rebellion in your house at all. If you do, you will no longer be in charge of your house. Period. I don't care how tough, how big, and how big your mustache is. I don't care how skinny and how little your child is. If you allow rebellion in your house, you will no longer be in charge. Once again, thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the tools mentioned in this podcast, you can find it at biblicalparenting.org.